Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and a very warm welcome. I'm Nagma, you're watching The Ideas Factory. Before we get into the details of what are we going to talk about on this episode of The Ideas Factory, let me quickly give you a summary of what were really the big headlines or some of the developments which grabbed the headlines this week internationally. First of all, as we all know, the Winter Olympics took place in Beijing and China kept saying or kept telling countries who boycotted that they should not politicize the event, but Xi Jinping used it to enhance his political uh, consolidation, definitely. India boycotted the inauguration ceremony uh, and there was a diplomatic boycott. So we will look into that. But what does that mean? Was it really an exclusive club that we saw there at the Winter Olympics? Secondly, the Ukraine crisis continues to be big. And we are seeing that along with Germany, now France is also kind of freelancing on that issue and not really with what the NATO stance is. Uh, and of course, Sri Lanka, our neighbor, Sri Lanka is increasingly realizing that India is a more trusted partner and foreign minister's visit to India consolidated that. What is at stake uh, as far as India-Sri Lanka relationship is concerned and how is China affecting that or not affecting the bilateral ties? We will look at all of that. To talk about all this and to analyze these developments for us is Professor Harsh Pant. A very warm welcome to you, Harsh. So let's uh, let's start uh, by looking at Ukraine and what's happening there. Uh, very clearly, when Macron and Putin met, a big statements coming from Macron where he says that there is no security for Europe if there is no security for Russia. In a way, he also legitimized Moscow's demands for or Moscow's security concerns. And it's evident that France, like Germany, is also kind of freelancing here because uh, U.S. has its own concerns here, of course, and uh, it does not uh, necessarily go well with the economic drivers of EU, which is Germany and France, because there's a lot of st- a lot at stake there for Germany and France. And there is heavy dependence as far as gas is concerned, uh, you know, energy is concerned, there is heavy dependence on Russia. So France clearly is not really uh, saying what NATO is projecting or what NATO actually is uh, saying that they're all together in this. You've seen dissenting voices from Germany. Now we're also seeing dissenting voice in France. Uh, yes, I think uh, there is a the larger landscape in Europe is... Uh you know, is uh, quite, uh, is emerging in a way uh, that is, I think, giving us this sense of, of a certain sense of disaggregation uh, in the in the Western camp. Now, uh, I think Europeans and, 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 and France and Germany in particular uh, do not want America to be the sole leader in this. And I think there is a sense that European Union should be leading it in its own way, uh, should be, um, should have... Uh, uh, France, for example, has uh, under Macron has been saying for a very long time that a strategic autonomy for European Union is, is essential. Uh, that uh, you know that they need to carve out a position independent of America in global politics. And I think they feel um, that this is a moment, perhaps, where they can intervene and they can sort of uh, take uh, some kind of an onus uh, to shape this conflict because they are worried that this conflict will 
uh, impact uh, uh, you know uh, Europe in a much more significant way. And uh, to be fair to them, this is fundamentally about uh, the, the restructuring of European security order that emerged in the post Second World War. Uh, so I think uh, if France and Germany both uh, are keen that they take the lead, and, and, and as, you, as you said, uh, Mr. Macron has been more sensitive uh, about the Russian position. He has, uh, you know, he has been saying that Russian interests should be looked at carefully. Uh, but of course, I think uh, he is also saying that look, there can't be any compromise on the sovereignty of Ukraine. So I think uh, there is a dilemma here that how do you protect uh, the sovereign rights of states like Ukraine? that may uh, you know or, uh, want to have an identity which is quite distinct from their soviet identity uh, and and uh, and on the other hand there is a larger dynamic of great power politics where russia is intruding into into that space russia wants to retain that space so what is the role of for, for europe for european countries and for major european powers like uh, france and germany and i don't think uh, I, there is a, you know there is a degree of cohesion uh, between uh, European Union and NATO, and that tends to often happen because uh, in the past also we have seen European Union when it takes certain decisions on foreign policy, particularly if they impact Europe, uh, they tend to diverge from uh, from the US. Uh, so I think it would be interesting to see now uh, what kind of conversations uh, will happen between um, uh, you know uh, NATO and, and European Union. But one must also recall that uh, the the German Chancellor also was in uh, Washington. Uh, and he also tried to present, uh, you know, uh, uh, some sense of uh, solidarity with, with, with Washington's position. So I think uh, Russia perhaps uh, is, is uh, you know, in a sense, Russia might be feeling that there are, it has more cards to play, given this, a certain sense of disjointed effort that we are seeing emerging uh, from the Western camp. Uh, but I would, uh, you know, I would in the end, uh, of course, underscore that uh, you know, when it comes to hard power, France and Germany themselves can't do much. Uh, ultimately, it is NATO that will have to stand up as a, as a force uh, if, uh, if they feel that Russia has to be deterred or Russia has to be uh, repulsed if, if, if an aggression happens. But so I yeah. think at that, at that point, uh, Europe uh, you know, will have to consider the, the repercussions of not being part of, of, of NATO, but of, at the moment, they are not saying that. At the moment, it's an effort to just to see if I think diplomatically, uh, France and Germany can resolve some of these some of these problems and, of course, take the leadership position at this critical juncture. Uh, absolutely. But uh, their, their stance basically is not exactly what US's stance is or what the NATO's stance is. They are act not really uh, digressing much from what NATO is saying, but they're also um, also saying that they have an independent view because there is much more at stake for France and Germany, who are actually the main economic drivers of European Union. And there was also a term used, Harsh, uh, Finlandization of uh, Ukraine, which later Macron, of course, said that he has not used. But what's that? That when you when you talk about the sovereignty of Ukraine, I mean, is that an option that uh, is being looked at? Well, I think, you know, uh, the, there is a danger that, uh, you know, that Ukraine may end up, uh, you know, this, as, a, as a buffer country uh, between Russia and the West. And I think uh, Europeans, uh, many Ukrainians would not want it. So I think that, you know, uh, it, it, it won't, um, uh, it, it, I think it won't be particularly uh, troubling for Europe for, uh, or for Russia if, 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 if uh, uh, if Ukraine takes on that responsibility of being a state that that is relatively neutral uh, between these two uh, these two power blocks, 
But of course, at the end of the day, uh, I think Ukraine as such would resist this move because, uh, you know, after all, it's a sovereign country. Uh, Macron and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, the German chancellor or the American president or the Russian president can't decide for Ukrainians what they want to do. So I think the trouble actually starts from there, that how do you reconcile uh, great power politics with the aspirations of Ukrainians and, and what do Ukrainians want? Uh, we are hearing so little and, and it, it is interesting that Ukrainians themselves are saying that uh, and Ukrainian government is downplaying uh, the, the threat of uh, war. Uh, the, you know, they are saying that no, no, you know, it's, it's being hyped uh, when, uh, you know, when we heard from Washington that uh, um, uh, Russians are about to about to launch an invasion. It was the Ukrainian government that came out and said, no, it is not. You know, that, that, that's not true. Yeah, and Russia has denied it too. And Russia has also said that America is probably just whipping up a frenzy. And there is no such aggression that's about to happen. So, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, various analysis uh, have been written on it. There is also people who say that Russia's concerns, security concerns are genuine. And why should it just let... Uh, the NATO expansion to take place. Yes, I think uh, you know there is you know there is a sense that uh, that uh, Russia perhaps that West needs to reach a, a, a modus vivendi with the Russians on on what the security order in Europe should look like. Uh, but you know, ultimately, the question remains uh, as to how important a role Ukraine is going to play in this, because uh, you know a. We really cannot go back to the 19th century world where major powers are deciding their spheres of influence. So yes. ultimately, what does you know what does Ukraine want is a big question, and and can it be satisfied with certain kinds of arrangements where its aspirations are also satisfied of being an autonomous actor, as well as the you know the, there are some guarantees that can be given to the Russians. I think at the end of the day, that's a, that's a diplomatic negotiation that's going to happen. But at the moment, of course, uh, every side is uh, trying to play uh, a game of brinkmanship. And there is a sense that perhaps uh, they, you know, the, the more aggressive you look on the battlefield, the better gains you will have on the in the diplomatic battlefield. So, uh, but I uh, but I do think that uh, you know that it's very unlikely that you will see uh, an armed escalation happening because the costs are going to be hugely significant. And of course, uh, as we see, Europe does not want it, uh, Russia does not want it, and many in America would also say that they don't. That actually, uh, you know, the, the focus of America has to be on China and, and domestic rejuvenation rather than fighting a Cold War era conflict with, with the Russians. So why don't why not resolve it? So I, I don't think there is a there is a danger there. The danger is, of course, inadvertent escalation, miscalculations, and misperceptions leading to uh, a conflict uh, in and around Ukraine. And as you say. Uh Ukraine has to play a big role here. And what does Ukraine want? The big problem is we do not know what does Ukraine want and what Ukraine wants is also very divided. There are different camps there. So that's a big, big problem. And um, when we talk of uh, Russia's stance and Russia being bothered about NATO's expansion further, uh, security concerns, we also saw the consolidation actually of Russia-China relationship on the platform of the Winter Olympics. And they both condemned uh, U.S. boycotting the Winter Olympics. They were both condemned, uh, you know, uh, American stance on Ukraine. The Winter Olympics also saw a diplomatic boycott by India, of course, because China using the Galvan, uh, a Galvan soldier as a torch bearer, as a flag bearer. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I want to hear your analysis on the optics of that. The Galvan soldier being the the torch bearer uh, clearly shows that China hasn't forgotten what happened in Galvan, and it's pretty riled up about that yes i think uh, you know for a country again that that calls itself a, a great power 
to make this pointed, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, arrangement where you are, uh, you know, after all, uh, you know, we know that uh, soldiers died from both India and and China, uh, and but at the end of the day, this is uh, this is you know this is a border skirmish between two big two major powers. To make it the centerpiece of your uh, of your uh, you know projection uh, during as big an event as Olympics somehow tells you the defensiveness that China has come in. And, and let's also recall that that was that was precisely the week when the news were you know the, when Western media Australian media in fact came out with that story of the number of of Chinese soldiers dying in, yes. in Galwan. So I think there is a there is a sense there that you know uh, China has been bruised uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, that this is something that. Uh, it does take seriously. You know, many in India say, "Oh, China does not take India seriously." But I think the fact that India stood up, uh, Indian soldiers stood up to a mighty Chinese uh, power uh, on the border, and uh, China, they were not only repulsed, but so many of them got killed. Uh, I think uh, tells you that uh, you know that China has taken it to heart, and the fact that they would use an, uh, an officer who was there at that crisis uh, to make a point uh, is something also inevitably shows that. Uh, China is making a big deal about it. That this is something that this, you know, that this is, uh, and this can, uh, this means that uh, India has to be prepared. That China has not forgotten it, and that China will certainly do all it can to to somehow uh, get back at India. But also, I think the the larger use of such platforms for uh, for geopolitical purposes is something of a, uh, you know, uh, it, it also shows China in a different light. If you if you recall, Lagma two thousand eight Olympics, uh, the Summer Olympics that China hosted. They were sort of a coming out party of a China that is emerging from the shadows of, you know, of, of um, colonization, of, of a second-rate power to this world power. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of appreciation around the world. People looked at China, you know, this is this is now this, this big behemoth of a country, civilization taking its place under the sun. This time, if you look at the commentary around these Olympics, it is exactly the opposite. Uh, not only countries have majority of the countries have diplomatically boycotted it in the sense a large number of major powers have boycotted it including of course the western countries and india but also the narrative around china has changed now the china is, is this uh, this this bully country that is aggressive with all its neighbors uh, and that is you know indulging in uh, you know genocide like like activities in xinjiang in tibet uh, you know there is there's a whole plethora of issues surrounding china today uh, that have uh, somehow uh, taken the sheen off of china's rise and so i think it, you know in in some ways using uh, uh, olympics this time for uh, aggressively promoting its geopolitical interests perhaps shows uh, in, in a sense uh, i would also say that perhaps shows that china is now uh, more marginalized than it was in 2008 from 2008 to 2022 it's, it's a long trajectory but a trajectory that does not tell you a story of a, of a confident country that is uh, that is about to lead the world that also tells you a story of a country that is, uh, you know, that is uh, because of its bullying tactics now feels isolated and now has to pick and choose among countries. So you see, uh, you we, we saw, you know, great celebration with the Russian president, yes, uh, or the or the Pakistani prime minister. Of course, he was uh, he was. Yeah, not so it was like an invitation to an exclusive club where only those were invited who agreed to the to China's model of development, and the yeah. rest were not, and the rest were condemned, and and, and China seemed to appear as a bigger bully. Yes, indeed. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, to make a show, I mean, at the end of the day, all that remained of, 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 of showing solidarity was what this big, uh, you know, uh, 
statement uh, and, and and big meeting with the Russian president. Apart from that, I think there was nothing to show. Uh, and and so in in that sense, I think uh, we are looking at uh, uh, you know of course at at a new at a new kind of geopolitics now. Of course, these blocks are getting consolidated, and I think one of the stories, main stories perhaps, uh, which will implicate uh, not only uh, the global order but also Indian foreign policy is how uh, uh, you know what kind of a relationship uh, Russia and China will have, because if mm -hmm. the statement is anything to go by. This relationship is only getting stronger, and given the given the the, the challenges with, with the West that both Russia and China face, uh, we are going to see uh, uh, even even greater consolidation of this relationship. So, uh, and of course, this means that we are looking at a world increasingly divided between two two kinds of models, two kinds of uh, global powers, and India, which has tried to carve a middle pa middle path between the West and Russia in particular. Uh, and in, you know, in an ironic sense, India needs both Russia uh, and uh, West in order to deal with the China challenge. Uh, will find itself in a difficult position because uh, you know, if, if if the two sides, the Russians and the and the Western countries, do not see eye to eye on global global uh, politics, do not see eye to eye on a range of issues, are increasingly sure. at contestation, then I think that the challenges for Indian foreign policy are going to rise, uh, and and they are only going to. Uh, rise further with uh, irrespective of what happens in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, Harsh, I want to quickly take two questions that our viewers have sent, which uh, is on the topic. Uh, Onkar, Darpe and Nazrul Islam, both of them are asking questions about the joint statement following the meeting between Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. They say that there's a line which says that, Russia, that for Russia, Taiwan is a part of China and it opposes any form of independence of Taiwan. But Ukraine is not mentioned even once in a statement. Is China trying to downplay the situation in Eastern Europe or is it just... Uh, that it does not want to get involved in it directly. And um, uh, also a question about the joint declaration of Russia-China promising to deepen relationship with India through RIC forum. India abstaining in UNSC brought closer to Russia, but how the deepening relationship of the aforementioned two would affect India? You, you were just talking about the Russia-China relationship or the consolidation could be a cause of worry. Uh, yes, I think uh, you know on the on the on the on the consolidation side, that's going to be uh, very very difficult for India because I think uh, in, uh, whatever the trends are, uh, whatever the, whatever the outcome uh, in Ukraine, uh, that this relationship is going to get stronger. It seems on the face of it, and the trend lines are quite uh, quite obvious. Uh, in fact, if you recall, uh, even till a few years back, we used to say, well, you know, Russians and the Chinese have. Um, have problems and, and they won't be yeah. able to come to this kind of an arrangement. Now, of course, there is a new language there. There is a talk, you know, even uh, I remember, I recall last year, I think uh, Mr. Putin also said, uh, you know, uh, we are not alliance partners, but uh, so what? It's a possibility uh, in, in the future. Uh, you know, he was very candid on that front. Uh, and I think uh, for, for Russians, of course, uh, you know, they, uh, they, uh, opening a line of communication to India is important because that means that uh, they would not be seen as a junior partner to China. Uh, they they want to retain that that space in, in in their engagements with China by opening up to India. But I think for India, the challenge is that as it focuses more on the Indo-Pacific, as it focuses more on managing China's rise, uh, you know, uh, it, it will need friends and partners, uh, and uh, they, you know, uh, to create that to, to continue to have the balance between the the Russians and the the Western countries uh, in, in in light of what is happening. And the present trends continue is going to be a challenge. And the Russians and Chinese are indicating uh, that they are increasingly viewing the world through the same lens. Uh, 
yes. uh, you know, whether it is uh, Taiwan and, and also I, I mean I, this links up to the mm-hmm. question on Ukraine uh, that although Ukraine was not mentioned uh, you know Chinese were uh, and the statement was quite, quite candid in terms of asserting uh, that uh, NATO should uh, you know let lo- let go of a cold war like ideology uh, its expansion uh, should be uh, you know uh, prevented uh, and that uh, you know uh, genuine security concerns genuine security uh, issues that, that prevail in the region um, should be adhered to so i think there is uh, yeah. chinese have not have not mentioned ukraine uh, mm-hmm. but they but they have you know they have cited very categorically and ukraine and taiwan actually can't be compared taiwan is uh, for china uh, you know uh, is a national security imperative Whereas mm-hmm. for Russia, Ukraine is something that is uh, happening at the moment. It's a crisis which they would like to use for a larger goal. And I think that larger goal was well explicated in the statement. Absolutely. China has been very explicit on its position on Ukraine too. And Akshay Pandit also uh, mentions a similar, he's also asked a similar question that we've already answered, I think in our last episode. He asks about, uh, given that USA has stepped its boot in Eastern Europe, will it be able to concentrate as before in Indo-Pacific? So we've already discussed this and how this can affect um, the focus on Indo-Pacific. Now, uh, if we move uh, from here and look at what's happening in Sri Lanka, we have limited time. There are many more questions, but uh, probably we can take up some of the questions. There are a lot of questions on the Ukrainian crisis. But let's look at Sri Lanka, which is a country which is in deep financial crisis. It is um, always a balance between India and China, but it is also increasingly realizing what's happening world over as far as the debt crisis is concerned. And what's happening with the countries that actually got trapped in the Chinese debt trap. Uh, The Sri Lankan foreign minister's visit is very, very significant, Harsh, in this regard. But he has made a statement that uh, uh, the relationship now aims at moving from the transactional relationship to a strategic relationship. Uh, uh, What do you how how do we understand that? What what is he actually uh, asking from India? He's also made a statement that. Sri Lanka's relationship with China will not deter its relationship with India. And India is a trusted friend. You know, I think Nagma, there is there is, uh, there is a significant uh, shift in, in Sri Lanka that, that I think can be observed. Partly, I think, because I think uh, of the economic crisis that Sri Lanka is facing and there's sort of a reassessment that it has engendered in, in, in Sri Lanka. That look, you can have a, an economic relationship with China, but when the chips are down, uh, it is India that is going to come to the aid of, of, of a country like Sri Lanka. And, 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 and you know, uh, uh, if you look at the 2.4 billion assistance, you know, emergency assistance package that India has crafted mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. Sri Lanka, that is quite significant at a time when Sri Lanka actually needs support. And, and India has been, uh, I think, a good friend, a good neighbor, and a, and a, and a stable partner in that sense, uh, recognizing the challenges, recognizing the in, importance, and recognizing the imperative of this relationship. We have seen, for example, a number of episodes this, this year, uh, in, in the last few months, uh, the fertilizer crisis in Sri Lanka, and, and the, the, you know, the, the, the way Chinese reacted and the way India reacted. Uh, and I think the economic crisis, the way China has reacted so far, and the way India has reacted. Now, there is no, I mean, uh, it's not about uh, comparing two countries and comparing their approach to Sri Lanka, but it is about uh, when you know when there is a genuine difficulty. Uh, how does a how does a neighbor respond? Uh, and in fact, the the crisis itself, uh, of course, a, a product of economic mismanagement in Sri Lanka, but also a product of uh, the kind of uh, economic relationship Sri Lanka shares with China. 
So China is an important part of this uh, of this uh, economic uh, restructuring that Sri Lanka is going through, economic problems that Sri Lanka is going through, and India emerges as a country that is willing and able to support Sri Lanka and aspirations. So I think the economic models are different, the economic partnership models are different, and the ability and the willingness of the two countries to help at a time of crisis is also quite different. And and, and therefore, no wonder uh, that 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 there is a reassessment in Sri Lanka and and that Sri Lanka feels that going forward. Rather than having this relationship where you continue to play one country off against uh, against the other, right? Uh, you, you continue to say if China is not giving, uh, if India will not give us, then we will go to China. Let's have a more long-term strategic perspective on this on this issue, and therefore craft a relationship that is based on strategic goals rather than these uh, short-term goals of one port here, one deal there, uh, which does not really sum up the the relationship in its entirety. After all, India and Sri Lanka are historical civilizational partners. So in that in that context, the the, the relationship also needs uh, to be anchored in something much more substantive. And I think the foreign minister's visit and his articulation that this is about strategic mapping of the future is very very important. And hopefully, uh, that will insulate the relationship from some of the more tactically driven approaches that we have seen in recent past, where we saw where we see you know at times relationship going uh, higher, but at, at yes. other times relationship being in danger. Yes, like during Rajapaksha's time, there was a growing security concern in India that Sri Lanka was considered as part of the Ring of Pearl strategy of China. And you're saying that there has been a reassessment in Sri Lanka. In Sri Lanka, there is an increasing realization of the significance of this relationship. It seems this is a beginning. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it will sustain itself. All right. All right. So that's all we have time for on this episode of the Ideas Factory. Thank you very much, Harsh. And thank you to all of you for joining us. Do send in your questions. We'll try to take in as many as possible in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.